Welcome to the At The Coalface podcast with your host, Jason Greenwood. This podcast is all about what it's really like in the trenches of digital and e-commerce. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the pod. I have the pleasure of welcoming Hawk and Steel, also known affectionately in the industry as Hawk, uh, from Starship It to the podcast. Welcome, mate. Thanks, Jase. It's really, really appreciate the uh, the invitation. Yeah, good to be here. Oh, oh, it's look, it's great to have you here. We we've known each other, um, I think, for about five or six, maybe years, maybe even a little bit longer than that. Um, you know, we we've worked together, I guess, in the industry for a long time. We've attended a lot of the same conferences. We've been mates on LinkedIn. We. We, you know, we run in the same circles, I guess. And when you run in the same circles, you tend to bump, bump into people time and time again um, through partnerships and and through professional friendships and and beyond. Yeah, exactly. So um, I think there's been a few projects that we've sort of uh, crossed paths on. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's 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 always a always a pleasure to see you at uh, at the different events. And um, you know, I obviously follow your link your LinkedIn content. Um, pretty pretty closely so yeah it's 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 been a good good journey for the last five years or so it is you know and i and i think about this every single time i i have a podcast with someone that i'm you know that i'm mates with and that and that i guess i've known for a long time i i just there's so many cool people in our industry we really are truly lucky particularly down here in anz um you know there is just so many really sharp onto it switched on people like yourself um, and it, it is a pleasure to be able to, I guess, work in an industry where you've got a lot of people that you you respect and that you have an opportunity to do projects with, and you get to know quite deeply over a period of time because you see each other in, in, in at times in some very stressful situations mid-project, don't you? Yeah, hundred percent, and I, I fully, fully agree. And you know, I, I guess. Um, you know, my experience outside of Australia and New Zealand is probably a little bit, a little bit limited. I mean, we're a little bit in sort of Singapore and and in the UK, but I do think Australia and New Zealand has this, has this community which I think is amazing. You know, the 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 different sort of people that you see and come across within this community is is like no other. And everyone, you know, the retailers they're, they're so willing to help each other. You know, I think. Um, you know, perhaps it's that sort of Antipodean sort of way. As I said, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm sure there are other parts of the world with really good communities as well. But I think, you know, this this one down here is is probably quite special. So yeah, I, I fully support that for sure. Yep, totally on board with with everything you just said there. Now, you are the partnership and sales manager for Star Ship It, uh, which is an integrated shipping and tracking and logistics management platform for retailers. You've been with the business for over five years now. I think the business is about eight years old in total. And I, I obviously knew George and Alex, the founders of the of the company back in the day, even before you were with the business when they were sort of building out the product and the platform and sort of trying to make sure that it was fit for purpose, particularly for APAC based retailers and courier integrations. Uh, but before that, you, you've you been in, involved with, with couriers obviously before as well, or courier companies, territory manager with Toll Group. Then before that, you you worked in a variety of, of I guess, retail facing um, uh, roles and positions. So you're pretty well placed to, I guess, understand the retail industry and the logistics industry in ANZ. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I guess I had a um, my first job out of school. Actually, I was I ended up as a as a customs broker, so doing a lot of the sort of um, 
customs clearances for commercial goods coming into the country and actually you know export clearances as well um, so I had a little bit of a a little bit of a handle on it from from an early age um, and then sort of left it behind me and did a few other things uh, and it's amazing how how sort of drawn on that experience from you know my first job out of school I've actually uh, there's been a lot of knowledge that I've, I've had to sort of re you know pull up out of the depth um, but yeah and also I guess I've had a I've had a small business not in retail but I've had a small business for myself so I do I do actually um, you know, I, I think just having a genuine interest in business is, is you know, it's always going to be helpful when you're talking to business owners. And um, so, yeah, I do, I do see a lot of the same sort of challenges. Obviously, my my business was actually in, in tourism, but um, certainly pleased I am not in that anymore. Yeah, tough time to uh, tough time if you're in tourism at the moment with uh, pretty much no tourism apart from domestic tourism happening right now. So yeah, we definitely feel you know, and I, I've I've said this to uh, I guess other people that I've had on the pod and and other people in the industry. You know, we are, uh, and I'm sure you can comment on this as well. Because of COVID, our industry has literally had a rocket ship put underneath it, and then you combine that with I guess the strains internationally of that growth, particularly of e-commerce and omnichannel as a result of COVID, and then you combine that with, I guess, because of that volume increase, the massive strains that that's put on international supply chains and manufacturing, and sort of the, the gaps that you help businesses fill, you guys are right, you're, you're kind of in the eye of the storm right now in terms of servicing omni-channel businesses with that, and we'll talk a little bit more, I guess, about the technology, but I guess maybe if we could just get your thoughts from truly being in the eye of the storm of e-commerce and omni-channel right now. Yeah, I mean you're you're right. It's a it's a really good way you you put it there. The eye of the storm. So there is, a, I guess, there is a storm, really, isn't it? There. I think um, we are we're, we're you know we're in boomtown as far as e-commerce goes and digital. And yeah, I mean you said it absolutely correctly. But on the flip side, there is a real challenge for those small businesses actually getting their hands on the inventory to, to be able to sell and you know I think you know there's a there's going to be a big challenge to come um, that whole supply chain is you can just almost hear it groaning at the seams you know flights are down space on ships uh, is down um, you know I saw an image of, of um, a commercial flight actually the other day where they had a whole sack of parcels just seat belted into, into like a, a, a passenger plane so Look, I mean, yes, space is at a shortage. And speaking to a customer the other day, actually, you probably you may have seen it on the news. Um, Zuru, Zuru Toys, I think, they were talking about containers coming from from China, and they they were used to paying sort of three, four thousand dollars for a container to come on down, and that's actually up to about twenty thousand dollars now for a container down to down to this part of the world anyway, down to New Zealand. So there's some there's some big challenges, but yeah, certainly right now. The you know and the, the couriers themselves, I think uh, the networks are just under this huge, huge strain. Um, the volumes that are going through is just is just phenomenal. I mean, we we had our busiest day as far as labels printed through, like shipping labels printed through Starship it. Um, we had our busiest day ever, I think, about a week ago. Um, it was about half a million labels that came through Starship it just in one day. Wow, lots to unpack in that. I'm certainly hearing the exact same thing for, uh, f that you are from pretty much every retailer, whether that be B2B, D2C, um, or B2C that I'm that I'm dealing with at the moment. 
lead times for containers from almost anywhere, but particularly from China, you know, blowing out four, eight, 12 weeks longer than, than is typical and four to five to six times the cost uh, of shipping that container from around the world, whether that be from China, Vietnam, Singapore, mm. it doesn't really matter almost where it comes from, but if it's coming down to ANZ, it's, it's five to six, maybe in some cases, seven times what it was, you know, 24 months ago. And that's obviously bearing itself out in terms of retail price inflation. We're seeing that already. Uh, and I've also heard that from a supply chain perspective for Black Friday, Cyber Monday and Christmas, that many, many retailers are basically just saying, hey, we're going to take this as an opportunity not to discount during this time because we're going to we're not going to have enough stock to supply the demand as it is. So why would we go out there and court super price sensitive customers with massive discounts when we don't need to? So actually, in some respects, it's a double digit sword. You're right in that retailers can't necessarily get their hands on enough stuff for their based on their forecasts of where they're going to be by Christmas time. But by the same token, they're not taking a hiding on margins either. They're just jacking up their prices based on the costs that they have to pass on to be able to be profitable as a business wherever they think they can whilst still being competitive in the marketplace. But they're just not doing the the, the extreme level of discounting. I think we, we got to a place in our industry, if I'm honest, where basically many, many retailers relied on massive discounting to drive demand. And I think that that was never going to be sustainable in the long term anyway. And so this has really reset the industry. And I mean, you know, COVID has reset many areas mm -hmm. of our aspects of our entire culture, frankly. But, you know, if we look at it just from a, 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 an industry standpoint, it has really reset how a lot of players in our industry behave and operate because of those supply chain constraints. And then, and then when we look at the compounding changes that are coming to third-party cookies and iOS, mm. you know, this, this cheap acquisition model, this cheap digital acquisition model that has been in place historically over the last say eight, you know, five to 10 years, say for example, that's coming to a rapid end. And so brands are really starting to realize from my perspective of what I'm seeing is there's, there's a, a greater dialogue than ever before about customer retention, customer remarketing, customer lifetime value, and, and making sure that you stay sticky uh, as a brand with your customers by staying very close to those customers and treating them very well and treating them like gold because just going out and replacing them is getting ever more expensive and ever, ever more difficult to do. And so also, you know, Merchants are more careful, I guess, about the customers that they acquire now so that when they go and they build out those lookalike audiences, they're not building a lookalike audience out of hyper-price sensitive customers who are not brand loyal. Yeah, 100%. And I just going back to what you said about the discounting as well. So, yeah, I, I think you're right. You know, there was a there was a little bit of, you know, whispers about, you know, a lot of customers starting to go down that route. I mean, yeah. For, for, for a long time, it's just been discount, discount, discount during that period, and then a few, a few sort of black sheep went off and said, "No, this is, this is, we're not going to be discounting at this time." Some people followed, some didn't, and this will be, I think, you're probably right. This will probably be one year that they decide, okay, we're going to, we're going to do this experiment because we just, we just don't have the actual, uh, the goods to sell. And it's interesting. I was just reading something on LinkedIn this morning about, um, you know, in Australia how. Um, you know the actual volumes around around the, the the peak season previously, certainly in Victoria, really really dropped last year because they were spiked so much so much between July and and October. Um, they skyrocketed and then they just dropped because everyone had done their, their online shopping and you know the 
the the stock just wasn't quite there, hadn't quite been replenished. So, yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, we saw the announcement by Oz Post. I think it was a week and a half ago or two weeks ago, where they shut down collections from e-commerce businesses for four days to try to let their network catch up with the demand and and actually get back to their target timings for deliveries, uh, particularly within metro regions within Australia. So I think that term "groaning," you know, the the, the logistics networks around the world groaning under the weight of e-commerce is absolutely accurate. You couldn't have put it better. And I think we're seeing that all the way from the majors like New Zealand Post and. Australia Post all the way down to the more minor, uh, smaller carrier, local carrier services, local carrier providers, uh, as well as international carriers. And I think I think that's also being borne out when we look at it, at you know large global businesses like Walmart and Amazon. You know, in the cases uh, of, of Walmart, I see that they're buying container ships now uh, or doing exclusive charters of container ships to where instead of just having consolidated freight of their containers on with a bunch of others, they're actually chartering the entire bloody container ship yeah. uh, to to guarantee you know shipment of their goods uh, around the world. And, and obviously with Amazon, you know, uh, you know. They're building out their entire fulfillment network. It's not just last mile anymore. You know, they obviously got their own planes, and it wouldn't surprise me if they came out with their own container ship soon too. So I think that the biggest players in the market are doing some pretty radical maneuvering to ensure supply chain for themselves, and that leaves, I guess, every medium size and small retailer and small business scrambling for the scraps, so to speak. But I, but I really do see. I see this as 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 quite a significant reset, and I think that. You know, even it, with rolling lockdowns continuing both here and in Australia and in many other places around the world, I see that sometime probably within the next 18 months, the entire industry will, will be forced to adapt. So I don't think this is a permanent uh, logistical nightmare and snarl up, snarl up globally because where there is constraint, there's also equal opportunity. And I think that there are some of the biggest capital hoarders in the world and capital allocators in the world are pouring literally billions of dollars into supply chain, both technology as well as hardware uh, and infrastructure. And when we look at some of the announcements, for example, even Google's announcement today that they've come out with a new supply chain management cloud technology, and and that announcement literally was just uh, released today to help even medium-sized businesses and larger manage their supply chain better through digital twinning, Uh, I I think, uh, initiatives like that are slowly but surely going to get supply chains back to a state of semi-normalcy. But I think the short term is nothing but pain. Yeah, I I would agree. And I think um, I just want to go back to what you were saying about you know the Australia Post and and you know even New Zealand Post, um, you know switching switching off their pickups for for a little bit. I mean I know New Zealand Post didn't switch off their pickups, but they did sort of put a cap on some of those some some of those volumes. But I think um, one point I really want to sort of make is this is just a great example of of where a retailer can um, you know use use sort of multiple um, delivery options in their you know in their strategy. So not giving all of their volumes to one particular carrier, but using a variety because. You know, we see it all the time. You know, every every carrier has their own strengths and weaknesses. What what one carrier is really good at, that you know, another will be really good at a different aspect. So, um, you know, having a having several carriers 
um, you know, strings to your bow really is going to be is going to be really helpful. So you can sort of easily direct volume through a different provider um, instead of having to have you know a fixed integration to one. And then if that you know if you have to switch one off, then <laughs> you know you're you're pretty stuffed. So that's one thing I just I would say in preparation for for this happening again is is using or having several carriers up your sleeve in this situation. Absolutely, and that, that leads probably quite mm -hmm. nicely into the discussion about Starship and what it is. So I'll I'll describe what Starship it is from my perspective because I have mm -hmm. had the privilege of working with you on it before. But but uh, after I'm done sort of describing it, then you can poke holes uh, or add anything you like to to sort of how I describe the platform. So really you are the glue or the plumbing that allows merchants to easily connect their either e-commerce system or their back office fulfillment system, whether that be an ERP, uh, order management system, a warehouse management system, however it is that they actually fulfill goods from an own warehouse, or in some cases, obviously via 3PL and 4PL that may use you as that carrier integration middleware platform, you are effectively a middleware platform that sits between a merchant's operational systems and transactional systems and the carriers themselves. And what that means is you facilitate the ability for the, the con notes and the other lodgement and documentation requirements for a shipment to go out. You, you send that information to like the, the size and the weight of a particular parcel. You send that off to a, a carrier that you're integrated with and that the merchant has an account with. You then get back effectively a quote for shipping that item um, via your service. Uh, and also you generate the, the tracking label and the address label that the, that the merchant then can put on their parcels to get them out the door and get them collected by the carrier. So really you facilitate that entire process between instead of having to man instead of having merchants having to manually key into the carrier's web interface say for example for their consignment notes having to manually type in a shipment manually typing in the address details manually basically copy and paste from their operational system into the carrier's systems, you do all that automatically. So you pick up all the order information, you pick up the delivery address, you pick up the information around the, the size and the weight of, of the shipment, you get that into the carrier's hands, and then you get the, the tracking detail out of the carrier's hands and back into those operational systems on behalf of the merchant. Mate, you've left me very few holes to to pick in that. To pick in that. Did a very very good job. So you're hundred percent right. So we, uh, I, yeah, as you said, the, the glue that sort of um, you know facilitates connecting the merchants' tech stack, you know, whether it be their e-commerce platform or any ARP, to um, to their to the carrier accounts. So you know, at the very core of it, you're um, you're right. So we get involved in the um, in sort of automating that order fulfillment. Process so getting rid of any manual entry around addresses and order details to be able to produce that um, that con note or that shipping label. Um, so that's at the very core of it. Is it's it's used in the warehouse to facilitate that um, that journey and, and you know essentially just automate it. But the other there's a couple of other places that we do get involved as well. So um, <clears throat> merchants often use us for facilitating live shipping quotes on their checkout. So, <clears throat> you know, having having a flat rate and one one delivery option, you know, that, that works in a lot of cases. Um, you know, if you're just selling the same thing to the same sort of place time and time again, then you can generally get away 
with that. But you know, when you do have random orders, large orders, or random destinations that that those orders might come from, then the shipping aspect really does eat into your profits. So the other way to do it is is by offering multiple shipping options on your checkout, and then we can facilitate having a live shipping quote next to each one of those. Um, you know, it's a dynamic price next to each one of those options, which which we're essentially just doing an API call to the merchant's courier accounts, so then their own negotiated rates, um, which is returned, and then and then Starship it can actually put that on the checkout for for the um, for the customer to see exactly what what the shipping costs for that particular order. So that's another place that we do get involved. Um, but then we also get involved at the other end of the journey, being uh, post-purchase. So as you know, everyone knows, as soon as the the order is um, placed and out the door, that's it's certainly not over with. There's a very, very important couple of days that happens after you've handed that order over, um, and that's the transit time, right? So at the moment, you know, there are a lot of struggles around around transit times. I think people during COVID and, and that sort of thing, <clears throat> you know, they, they are a little bit more understanding perhaps, um, <clears throat> but only if they're getting sort of decent communication. So that's where, where we come in as well. So we can facilitate uh, tracking notifications that are really highly customizable and personalized for, for the merchant. Um, the merchant obviously designs them and then chooses how many of those notifications, both email, SMS, um, go out to the to the shopper. Um, but also they can design, you know, their own branded tracking page, which, uh, which you know, as as you know, the whole freight industry is extremely boring. So sending your customer to, to for example, the the Australia Post website to track their order, it's a really massively lost opportunity when when they should be going to a much more engaging experience. You know, something that looks and feels like your website. You know, we can feed through all of the scans of that parcel, um, so they know exactly where it is. But it's it's just another chance for a merchant to to sort of engage with them and you know be hit with their you know your promotions and all that sort of thing. So yeah, those are the those are the sort of different aspects that we do get involved. So at checkout, during dispatch, and then post purchase makes absolute sense. And I guess if we look at just the technical aspect of where you integrate, depending, I guess on a on a retailer size or complexity or the way that they manage their fulfillment operations, it differs uh, based on their maturity, right? So if they're a if they're a really small business, and that's that's what I do like about Starship, it is you do scale up. Uh, as a business scales right from the point of being super tiny and maybe they maybe they're only doing you know two three four five orders a day on a Shopify site and that's really all they've got they've just got Shopify they don't have an ERP they don't have an inventory management system they don't have a warehouse or or even an order management system per se uh, and really you become it for those really small businesses in particular all the way up to say a mid-size uh, e-commerce business or an omni-channel business, you become almost like the order management system for that business. So you automate the downloading of orders, say from a Shopify or a big commerce into your platform. Then they do a manual pick, pack and dispatch operation, but then they use your platform to, uh, I, I guess, trigger the, the fact that, hey, we've got this packed, we've got this ready to go. We need to download the address label to put on there and we know this is gonna go out the door. And then you will automatically back into those e-commerce platforms, a Shopify, a BigCommerce, and Magento. You'll update the status to shipped. You will also inject that tracking information 
into those e-commerce platforms, which then can trigger off all the standard transactional email workflows through those platforms as appropriate. So you really do, uh, you know, you fulfill a really important piece, but then I guess if you move up the maturity stack of a business and let's say they do have an ERP, they do have a distributed order management system, or they do have and or uh, a warehouse management system that is that is managing the pick, pack and dispatch process. And really all you're doing at that point is integrating with the carry off the backside of that. So instead of in that scenario, instead of integrating with the e-commerce platform, you're going to integrate with the ERP, the OMS or the WMS so that after the pick pack, you know, the pick pack process is complete. Really, they're just using you for the dispatch process, the labeling and dispatch process. So it, where your system hangs off of or integrates with will in large part be down to how mature that business is and what other systems are in play at that time. Would that be would that be accurate? Yeah, 100%. So, <clears throat> yeah, in, in most cases, when the customer sort of comes to us and they're, they're sort of um, just getting started, we will integrate their Starship account direct to their e-commerce platform or, and also the, even their marketplaces as well. So whether it be, you know, eBay, Amazon, Catch. Um, so we've got a whole lot of those integrations and we import the orders. But as you said, as they scale, they're going to implement, you know, an inventory management system or an ERP. Um, and then we've got pre-built integrations with all of those as well. So then we would just essentially remove those those original ones and point it to to the new to the new platform where we'll receive the orders. And and as you said, I mean, it's two, they're all two-way integrations. So we we also reconcile it back up in the um, up in the uh, the platform further upstream and inject the tracking number as well. So yeah, I mean, we I, I guess it's fair to say our bread and butter is definitely the the, the SMEs. You know. But, um, you know, we've got a lot of customers that are still fulfilling out of their garage and or their spare bedroom, um, and it's great. But then we've got, um, you know, the likes of, well, as you know, like Health Post, um, you know, Shopo, Princess Polly, some of those big, bigger enterprise price ones down, down this part of the world as well. So yeah, there's a, there's some there's some good household names. The point being, you know, it does it does scale with with the merchant as they grow. And I guess the the other benefit of going with something like a Starship versus the old Tomando, you know, back in the day when Tomando kind of was one of the first cabs off the rank to try to do this carrier integration. Um, but but in the Tomando model, they used to have the relationship with the carriers themselves, and then if they were effectively a reseller of those services to the merchant, whereas you guys, you know, you don't get in between, except for the case where with New Zealand Post, for example, where your product is white labeled as eShip. And so, you know, New Zealand Post didn't go out and build their own carrier integration with their own network. You know, they just leverage yours and effectively white label it. And then the only carrier that's available through their integration is, is New Zealand Post, obviously, uh, because they provide that as a service for free to the merchants that are using New Zealand Post exclusively. And so that's great for them it's great for you. It's great for the merchant because it's a one-stop shop in terms of services and integrations. Um, but I guess going beyond that, in a, in a in a multi uh, you know carrier scenario like you were describing, where it's wise for merchants to have multiple relationships with multiple carriers, whether that be. Uh, just as a backup supply chain supplier for them in terms of being able to, to fulfill that last mile, but also in cases where they've got a mixed catalog of products, you know, they might be selling furniture and they might be selling homewares. And obviously you need a bulk goods carrier for the, for the furniture and you need a, you know, maybe a small local courier for, for, for some homewares that are small and relatively light 
volumetrically. And so I guess you you don't try to get into that area where you're a reseller of those services and adding a markup on top of the courier services to your merchants. They will have a relationship directly with those carriers. They will have negotiated rates based on, say, their annual volumes and annual spend and whatever else the the individual carrier is looking at when they when they set their prices for that particular merchant. And really, you just provide the plumbing between the API key that the carrier provides to the merchant, your system, and the merchant system of choice. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. So we describe ourselves as um, as what we call enablers. So we're we're sort of enabling a merchant to do um, to do business with their their chosen carrier, who they have a relationship, they've negotiated their own rates with. So we don't, we, we yeah, I guess we work differently than perhaps other platforms in that sense. We don't clip the ticket, we don't add a margin, we don't make any money whatsoever on that the freight component of that of that parcel that's being shipped. Um, so. I guess it's it's fair to say our whole focus goes into the actual technology, or as you said, the the plumbing of it. So there's no um, there's no distractions around trying to resell um, courier services, and we're not we're not interested in in pushing you know one particular courier over another because, um, as I said, you know they've all got different sort of strengths and weaknesses, and we're we're just there to sort of facilitate it and enable those those retailers to do it rather than aggregating their services and and making money that way so yeah that's um you've, you've nailed it really and we, we're quite you know we we think this is this is a much better way to work i think as far as um retailers go then you know if you're you know you might be selling stuff on on trade me you might be selling one order a you know one or two orders a week then you know you you, you probably don't need a, a platform like starship it um but I think if you're doing more than sort of, you know, a few a day, then you've got a really good case to go to a carrier and and say, listen, I've got this got this business, it's really cranking, and they're going to give you some pretty sharp rates directly, and you're not going to be stuck with a middleman um, that's clipping the ticket on it. And you're actually just building a relationship for the long term as well. So, you know, as you scale, you're going to be able to go with, go to them and say, look, we've given you all this volume, and, you know, this is the way it's going, and, and they can actually... Um, sort of, you know, look after you from uh, right from the start. Yeah. And, and the other thing that I'd like to add to this is that it does, you know, something like Starship, it does allow for merchants to be more agnostic around the carriers that they use. Whereas historically, like before technologies like Starship, it it was almost like changing banks, changing carriers, right? Especially when, you know, back in the bad old days, because you, you and I have been doing this for a very long time. I've been doing it for over 20 years. And I know that carrier integrations, like custom carrier integrations, were really complex, particularly with various different, not just e-commerce platforms, but various different back office systems as well. And they were almost always bespoke, one-off custom integrations that had to be built. And they were, you know, they were a little bit fragile. They were a little bit complex. And whenever the carrier would change an API endpoint or change the way they do something you'd have to update that integration it was really hard and really painful and you kind of absorb a lot of that pain on behalf of merchants and what that allows them to do instead of treating every carrier integration as this one-off highly custom unique integration you're saying no we're going to maintain that we're going to deal with all the changes in the apis we're going to deal with with carriers that are maybe in still in the stone age a little bit and do everything via csvs mm. we're going to we're going to wear all that pain of building and maintaining those integrations so that merchants don't have to and it gives Gives them the flexibility over time to chop and change and slice and dice their their fulfillments um, as they see fit at that time. 
Yeah, and and that's right. So not much has changed actually. Like those those carrier integrations, are, you know, some are better than others, obviously. But you know, this is what we do. This is what we do day in, day out, and I, you know, perhaps every tech company thinks this, but we've, I'm sure we've got the smartest developers out there. Um, yeah, so we you're right. We we absorb all of that, and you know, the other the other aspects as well. People people often sort of toss up between doing a, a direct integration with the carrier and, and, and using a platform um, like Starship. So, you know, our user interface has so many of the settings that you would um, you would have to get a developer to, to change if you wanted to make a change to that particular integration. Um, you know, things like signature required or authority to leave. You know, you can switch those things on and off. We've got the really powerful rules engine, which you know, you just you just wouldn't have if you um if you did a direct integration, it would just be all so custom and so so hard. So, yeah, we 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 try and um as you said, flexibility is a key word, keeping it agile, um and that's where I think a lot of the value is for for those customers. Um, yeah, over doing a direct integration for sure. And and when George and Alex obviously first launched Starship it as the co-founders of the of the platform and the brand. What was the very first cab off the rank in terms of integration? Was it just New Zealand Post? Is that what it first launched with, and you, you've just continued to build out further integration since then? Um, I think you. I think it was actually. Yeah, it was. Well, at the time it was called Courier Post and also DHL. So, um, Alex, he is the founder and owner of um, of Coast. They do really beautiful um, marine bean bags and outdoor furniture and that sort of thing. So he was he was the guy with the original problem, right? And he was um, you know, he had multiple carriers that he was using, um, multiple systems across across his computer and, and, and often he was having to use several different computers to print the labels um, just for different carriers. So he had the problem that was driving him crazy and you know that's when, when he met George and George being a developer he he obviously took that and wanted to have a little tinker and um, and solved the problem. But you're right, I mean it was it was uh, Courier Post and I think DHL at the time were the first ones and I believe um, you know between Big commerce and and Shopify as far as the as far as the first um, e-com uh, integration goes as well. And and how many carriers do you guys integrate with uh, as of now? Yeah, so right now I think it's up to thirty. Um, so most most of them are relevant for New Zealand and Australia. Um, well, most of them are relevant for Australia, and and then we've just actually added quite a few for for New Zealand here. So the Freightways Group, that being um, New Zealand Couriers, Post Haste, Castle Parcels, all those guys. Um, but also we've added a lot recently for for the Northern Hemisphere. So the UK and Europe, there's um, you know the likes of Royal Mail, uh, DPD, Deutsche Post. And, and all of those guys, and we've also, uh, you know, added uh, who else we've got? Um, UPS. You'll probably see a few more US-centric ones pretty soon as well. Can't give away too much, but you know. <laughs> of course, competitive advantage there, mate. No, I, I get it. I get it. But you know, th I guess what this calls out to me is the fact that being so focused on this laser-sharp niche. Which is which is awesome for you and awesome for the retailers. You know, you go from one or two uh, domestic carriers in New Zealand to you know, and and one international carrier being DHL because at that time they were 
buddied up with New Zealand Post, obviously, mm. and and now they're back independent again. You go from one or two to 30 or over 30. That shows, I guess, over the last eight years what the scale of development uh, effort and investment has been back into the platform. And then I know that you guys have made massive developments into the parcelization uh, capability of the platform in the rules engine part of the platform into the surcharging capabilities of the platform in the ability for specific rules to be applied to certain product types and categories as well or to split a catalog and say hey we want to send these products uh to this carrier we want to send these products or these orders to this carrier you know you really have i guess broadened what the platform is capable of since those very early nascent days and do you want to speak a little bit about i guess the product development roadmap and is this something that is very much i guess engagement led meaning you you engage with merchants you uncover new problems or new challenges or new carriers that they're already working with and you say hey we'll put that on our development roadmap because we can't necessarily meet your need today but hey in six or eight or 12 weeks or six months we will be able to and we'll come back and see you when we can yeah, that, that's exactly right. So, you know, one of our, you know, one of our values at Starship is customer as a compass, meaning, you know, we we have developed this this product in response to customers' sort of, you know, their ever changing needs, right? So, and those needs are always changing, um, but we, of course, like any like any you know um, tech company, we're getting one-off feature requests all the time. Um, but we we are certainly just led by well both our customers but also you know partners as well so um, you know they've always got their ear to the ground as far as what merchants are looking for and, and that sort of thing so yeah that's exactly right so we we get we get requests um, and we you know we're we're very sort of honest about it no we can't we can't do that right now and that you know we will certainly take a good look at it um, should there be you know. Uh, a few requests on, on top of yours and then we we take that away um, we'll just make sure you know technically it's going to be a good fit um, and it's actually going to work and and you know work to the high standards that we sort of keep as well so yeah we we definitely um, live up to that value of customer as a compass um, in that respect but the other one that we do have as well is, is being agile from day dot that's another value of ours meaning you know we we do want to sort of have have sort of quick turnarounds in our in our product. Um, we, you know, we 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 test very very thoroughly, but we want to be we want to be agile and be able to turn these out when when they are um, you know really required by the market. Yeah, it makes sense. You know, so you're, you're almost project led or or customer led in the sense of your product development pipeline. And I guess most major tech companies would consider themselves to be customer led, but I guess in your space. Because of the you know nature of being that bridge between an existing supplier or a, or a, or a, or a carrier that they're looking to take on as a business, really standing in that gap and holding the hand of the merchant alongside them as a true partner, it means that it means that you you to a degree you have to be project or merchant led because that is what allows you to, I guess, get your technology placed inside those merchants. Because if you simply don't have a connector, well, then then mm. there's, not, there's nothing for them to adopt, right? Yeah, yeah, you, yeah, you couldn't have said it better. 
And, and I guess in some instances, are there custom integrations with your API endpoints as well? So let's say let's say you, you you're working with a merchant and they they want to do something weird and they want to integrate with a with a system or a backend system or a carrier that the, you're not integrated with and it's it's a little ways down your pipeline or it's maybe in the never never just because it's not that popular or common. I'm guessing that there are some integration middleware providers that are working with merchants today who would integrate as a custom integration into your APIs instead and maybe that maybe you just fulfilled the integration to the carrier, for example. Uh, so you provide an API layer in in your own right so that you don't necessarily have to go out and build every single integration, but it is open enough to where custom integrations can be built with your platform too. Yeah, that's right. So we, you know, we have, I think, again, um, it's about 30 pre-built integrations natively within Starship it to all sorts of different, um, you know, platforms that are popular in our space. There's obviously a lot that we don't <laughs> integrate with as well. So that's, that's, that's when our, we've got an open API, which, you know, a lot of customers have used to, to build, um, to build integrations to the rest of their tech stack to give them access to all of the carriers. You know, again, they could choose to, to integrate with three different courier um, APIs, or they could just integrate with one being Starship, it's and they still get, you know, all of those carriers sort of available to them. So yeah, it's it's an open API, which, um, you know, people had some really, really good feedback on. Brilliant. And just changing gears for a moment, what do you make of the consolidation in the market that we're witnessing literally as we speak? First of all, we're seeing, Valuations of any tech company related to e-commerce omnichannel just just stratospheric. I mean, obviously we've got the we've got the the Mailchimp sale yesterday, you know, for twelve billion dollars, and and we've got we've just we've got valuations pretty much across the entire tech ecosystem related to e-commerce and omnichannel just going stupid numbers. We've got VTEX going public recently at an astronomical valuation. We've got we've got in fact lots of lots of international tech and e-commerce and, and omnichannel companies going public right now specifically because valuations are off the Richter. We've got VC capital sloshing around looking for a home and just being thrown at the wall and uh, of e-commerce and seeing what sticks. We've got you know massive investments in carriers and and infrastructure and and so we we've just got this this uh, and I and I personally don't think it'll last it it can't last it's it's so ridiculous valuations are so crazy that there's no way that this is sustainable and and I think it's just it's what happens when the music stops but but from your perspective, what you're seeing in the marketplace, we're seeing, you know, the likes of Sin7 um, growing in influence in our part of the world. They've acquired Deer Systems and a couple of other competing technologies in the market. And, you know, it's it's unclear whether they're going to roll that into Core Sin7 or whether they're going to maintain those 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 separate quasi ERPs as standalone products. We're seeing a lot of uh, of acquisition, you know, even of Nito by Meropost, another local player that sort of had their own OMS slash WMS being Bonero, and then of course the back end of Nito is effectively a de facto OMS for, for most businesses that that use the Nito platform, which is now Meropost Commerce Cloud. So we're seeing a lot of, I guess, consolidation. We're seeing a lot of growth. We're seeing, you know, COVID has has created some massive dislocations of capital, of investment, of technology. You know, obviously we saw Oracle a few years ago acquire NetSuite because they needed a mid-market cloud native ERP platform to go to market with that wasn't at the stratospheric price of a traditional Oracle product. We're seeing massive changes, mm -hmm. I guess, in the infrastructure structure that drives and runs and underpins our entire space. What do you make of that and how do how do you think of that through the context of Starship it and your plans for the future? 
Oh, look, I, yeah, I, I probably couldn't add too much to that, but I do, I do see these, um, and you're right, these are just eye-watering, <laughs> eye-watering numbers that you see um, banded around, and, and you know, a lot of people in our ecosystem, or a lot of sort of partners in our ecosystem, uh, you know, Unleashed is another one, PeopleVox, um, so it's certainly. Um, it's certainly around, and yeah, I probably I probably wouldn't be equipped too much to to talk about our plans for the future and, and any of that sort of thing. So, I yeah, I, I probably won't. I'll probably stay clear of that one if that's all right, Jase. Yeah, that's okay. You'll you'll delicately bow out of that <laughs> yeah. one. That, that's fine. That's fine. Look, I, I guess I guess it's just more more validation that you are witnessing. I guess. Oh you yeah. Know, of course, you know, I I saw the. Uh, you know, and I'm very familiar with the Descartes acquisition of PeopleVox and some of the other major platforms on the logistics side of our industry and the order and warehouse management side of our industry. There's just been such an inventory management side, as you say, with Unleashed and Deer and, and a few others. You know, it is it is uh, it feels like a lolly scramble at the moment is what it feels like to me, where the big major companies are going, hey, for us to level up, we almost have to both acquire and acqui, uh, acqui, you know, acquire a technology to plug a gap. It, it goes back to that that age old question of right buy or build, right? And mm -hmm. and so what we're seeing is we're seeing the biggest players in the market with vast access to vast pools of cheap capital. They're going, well, why would we build it when we can just buy it and it's best of breed already out of the box and we can integrate it into a into an our existing ecosystem and level us up super quickly. So we're not just acquiring the tech, we're also acquiring the developers, the IP, the smarts, all, everything that goes along with these businesses and everything that they've built out over the last decade. We're acquiring the whole lot we're not just acquiring a piece of technology and the customers as well which which they will obviously be you know looking to to upsell as well so you're right and the, and the other one that actually came across um well it's probably a couple of months ago um now but uh trade gecko i know the, the actual um sale went through quite a while ago but that trade gecko will be decommissioned um now as well so not if, if you're not aware it's the infantry management system out of singapore yep, yep. yep. Um, so yeah, that will that will be sunsetting. I think um, I think with the, maybe early next year. Um, could be wrong. We'll find out. Yeah, and I guess that's um, I guess you raise a very very valid point, which is that when you are selecting your tech stack, whether that be you know you're going to market yourself and you're doing an RFP or you're writing your own BRD or you're working for a consultant like me or or an agency, it almost doesn't matter. But you do really have to, I guess, ask some really hard due diligence questions because as we saw you know back in the day with Bronto being acquired with NetSuite and then NetSuite being acquired by Oracle sometimes these big fish eat little fish acquisitions and then ultimately they put a bullet in Bronto's head uh, from a marketing automation standpoint you know that left a lot of Bronto merchants kind of high and dry and 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 they had to make you know sort of last minute you know jumping off of you know and it was telegraphed to the market that, that you know it wasn't like they killed it over a month but mm. but and it was telegraphed to the market but if you had a big integration with Bronto if you had a very expensive integration with Bronto and custom work done on that platform and then all of a sudden you were now looking at you know, migrating to any Marzies or a Clavio or a Dot Digital, you know, that was not an insignificant migration to make for those merchants at that time. And we've seen Emarsis be acquired by SAP. Uh, it was, I think it's going back about four months ago or five months ago. Now that acquisition happened. So I think to your point, I think it's really important to align yourself 
with tech vendors provide platform providers and even and even implementation partners that are kind of aligned in the direction that you're going in as well. Now they're always not at liberty to say what might be going on behind the scenes, but it's always worth asking the question, you know, are there any immediate plans to, to sell the business or to make a radical change in direction strategically of the platform so that we can make a really informed decision about what, what is likely to happen with the platform. And again, you know, businesses always have to adapt to surprises that come along, but I think being smart about the partner selection that you make, because at the end of the day, the implementation partner themselves oftentimes will know more about the strategic plans of that platform than what the platform vendor will tell you themselves directly. And yes. so I think that, that I think that that, you know, working with somebody who has their finger on the pulse of the market is super mission critical. And in fact, probably more critical now than ever before, just because of the acquisitions we're seeing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it is definitely worth asking that question, and um, you know, I guess whether you get the the, the right answer or the the honest answer or not. But um, yeah, I, I can I can certainly say that you know we've we've got plenty plenty more that we we want to achieve before I think that's even on the table for us. Yeah. So, but you're right. Certainly, I mean, you, you don't want to be left high and dry like some have been um, in the past. Absolutely. Well, look, mate, look, I have really enjoyed our time together. We are coming, coming down to the end of our time together. What, um, from a, you know, of the stuff that you can disclose, what from, and even if it's just from a strategic direction of Starship it, what is on the cards for the platform? What, what would you, you know, if you forecast out 12 to 18 months from now, what would you ideally like to see Starship it become or functionality you would like to see added based on what you're seeing in the marketplace and the changes that are happening at an accelerated rate right now? What do you think Starship it is going to look like in another 12 to 18 months? Is it just simply a matter of more integrations, more out-of-the-box integrations being there? Or is there some core fundamental underlying fun functionality that you'd like to, to grow and add to as well in addition to that? Yeah, well, the first thing I would probably say on that would be, you know, we, we will be certainly adding more um, integrations and carriers that are relevant for the Northern Hemisphere. Um, we are, you know, we've got boots on the ground there now. Um, so that's that's one, one aspect. Um, yeah, I mean, we we've got a bunch of features that we we need to get through, which we are sort of working towards. We're also doing um, just about well, we've been working pretty hard on um, a few things. So one being um, there's been a lot of rule changes around Brexit and you know international shipping. So we've adapted the platform to to sort of meet those. So we've just sort of come through a lot of those sort of compliance things. Um, but the other area that you probably will see a lot of change in is our returns. So we are we're likely to untake. We're just sort of sort of toying with it at the moment. We've got some you know we've got some really good returns features in Starship it already, and we do support um, you know different ways of doing returns. But it's it's becoming more and more important in the market, and so I think you know that could be um, potentially a focus for us in the next sort of twelve months or so is to to really build out that returns aspect. That's fantastic, especially when you see something like Loop and some of the other you know returns focused platforms out there where they really have kind of made an art out of managing returns for brands and their customers uh, and trying to make that as seamless as possible. I think having a 
a, a fully integrated returns management system inside of Starship it so that so that the whole logistics plus reverse logistics is kind of easy more easily managed through your platform on a localized functionality basis with integrated with all the local carriers. I mean, it just it absolutely makes sense, right? It feels like a no brainer as as kind of a, a feature and functionality that that just feels like a natural fit with the platform. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And so we actually um, last year we actually did one, uh, did a sort of a custom returns portal for a customer of ours in Australia. It's a three PL that that uses Starship, and one of their customers required this returns platform. It's actually Microsoft. Um, so we actually built a returns platform for Microsoft. Um, so we've got a lot of a lot of um, you know functionality there already. The carriers. Uh, so yeah, it, like you said, it does seem like a bit of a no-brainer. We can we can really build on that and just make it um, make it available to be able to roll out to to lots of merchants. Fantastic. Now, mm. final two questions. One is, what would be your recommendation based on your experience living at the coalface of of international logistics and carrier integration, and everything else? What would be your top tip? for retailers to bring efficiency? You know, it doesn't have to be just, hey, implement Starship it, uh, but but what are some of the things you're seeing your top most successful retailers that you work with do operationally as a business to make them more efficient in the time of COVID? And then secondarily, how do people find you? How do they get a hold of you? Yeah, I would say, you know, having a warehouse management system that that really understands that whole pick and pack um, flow and the different sort of layout aspect. Um, we integrate with some really good, really good uh, warehouse management systems. Uh, well, we mentioned one before, PeopleVox. Um, so, you know, a lot of our our, our big merchants, um, particularly in fast fashion, seem to be using, you know, the the PeopleVox Starship integration, which is really great. Yeah. What was the other one? Oh, how do you get hold of us? So, yeah, certainly um, you can you can email myself, um, Hawkan at Starship, or come to our website, starshipit.com. Um, and yeah, we'd love to love to chat. Nice look, mate. I've yeah. really enjoyed this. It, it's been a it's been a pleasure going down uh, memory lane with you a little bit and talking about where you guys are at now and what you guys have on the cards. You know, I, I love the Starship platform. I think it's it's very very good at what it does and it fills a super important need for retailers in particularly in the ANZ market. And, and I really love what you guys do. And, and you're you're just a good group of people as well. So, uh, you know, I, I I can, you know, firsthand experience, you know, I've had had merchants that I've recommended it to have implemented it. And, and they're very, very happy with the Starship platform. So, you know, I, I can I can happily give it, you know, I don't I don't make any money for this. I'm not, a, you know, yeah. I, I'm not, a, it's I can genuinely endorse the Starship platform as a platform that I know works and I know it works well particularly for merchants in A and Z. So good on you, mate, for helping to develop something so exciting and something so mission critical for businesses. And, and you know, I wish you guys all the very, very best uh, for the future because I think you guys bloody deserve it. Mate, thank you very much, Jace. It's really kind. And uh, it means a lot coming from, from, from yourself. You know, obviously respect, respect you in the industry. So thank you. Cheers, buddy. We'll talk again soon. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the At The Coalface podcast. If you want more At The Coalface, you can subscribe to our premium e-commerce and digital newsletter, At The Coalface Digest.